This is The Pastor's Heart and it's Dominic Steele here and today what I've learned about and from coaching senior ministers with Peter Mayrick, a friend of The Pastor's Heart. He's with the Centre for Ministry Development in Sydney and does a lot of work coaching senior ministers. Peter, thanks for coming in and let's jump straight in. Thank you, Your Dominic. heart for pastors as you coach them, you coach us. Yeah, <laughs> I think my greatest heart for pastors is just recognising the challenging role it is to be a pastor. But the number one thing I have a heart for is that most people who I sit in front of have nobody other than their spouse mm -hmm. um, or girlfriend, boyfriend type thing, um, who they can share the personally, their faith, their challenges, um, they be vulnerable to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very, very mindful of that. So the consciousness I have is, how is this person um, going with the Lord? How is this person going in life? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's one of my clear consciences mm. as I meet with pastors. Mm. Which kind of raises an issue that we were just kicking around before, the difference between mentoring, coaching, pastoral support, those kind of things. Yeah. Tell us about those different categories. Well, I was schooled in line management in mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals where I was trained. Mm -hmm. And I was always trained that line management or coaching was always about coaching the person Mm -hmm. and then the task. Mm -hmm. um, as, I've, as I've grown and I've seen the way different people interpret what coaching or mentoring is, um, you can see differences in the way people interpret. But really, the Venn diagram is enormous. They are all very, very similar. Mm -hmm. um, I've been studying past... But what is the difference? <laughs> well, well, the real difference, most people want to say that coaching um, is about helping people from point A to point B, mm -hmm. um, um, a place here to do this, to do that. It's usually about helping people. But how can you help people if you're not helping the person? Mm -hmm. Mentoring, by definition, is usually a person who is more experienced helping someone who is lesser experienced in something they can do. Mm -hmm. um, and then pastoral supervision... Um, probably has the broadest definition because it's come out of the social sciences, out of mm -hmm. the psychologists and things. Pastoral supervision has a focus on, uh, they like the three-legged stool, helping people um, formation in, in sort mm -hmm. of skills and development, um, in normative, helping them in practices and uh, policy, and, uh, and restorative behaviour, which is kind of um, helping people to deal with the, the clogs of life, the challenges in life. Mm -hmm. So the definition looks broader for supervision, pastoral supervision, but really maturity in coaching and maturity in mentoring would pick up those things as well. So um, I've loved studying pastoral supervision. It's been helpful to me as a coach. But as I look at them all, I say they're all about helping a person um, as a person, as a disciple of our Lord Jesus, and helping them in what they're doing. So we've got a senior minister watching yeah. and they're trying to decide, do I get a coach, do I get a mentor, or do I get a pastoral supervisor, or do I get a nothing? Um, oh. Which one should they decide? I would why? be an advocate for any of them. But as you set it up, I would, I would encourage you to set it up to say, I'd really love you to help me in, as, a, as a man or a woman and as a pastor and as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And then I'd love you to be able to help me in these areas um, of, of my ministry. Um, and a, a, a good, You've equivocated. Come on. I have. <laughs> um, because answer. I think all three of them are fine. I think the most important thing is to have someone walking beside I, you. If I've got a particular need, am I going to go one or the other? Or? Um, if you've got a particular need, so if you're new in a job, new in a role, you might ask somebody who has good experience in that role to help you with the nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. So when we do the new senior pastors program, we give them a mentor who's done the nuts and bolts of the desk, you know, mm -hmm. the reports that have to be made and things like that, that would be appropriate for that time. Mm -hmm. Other than that, a mentor and a coach would, would work very, very similarly, I mm -hmm. think. In fact, when we train mentors, we train them to act like a coach, uh, to not 
uh, be the person who says, this is what I would do, this is what I would do, because us Australians love being told what you would do. Um, try to draw from your experience of, I've seen that example, mm-hmm. would that work here? Which is what a coach would do. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, a pastoral supervisor might help the person reflect on how things have gone, that they might bring it forward. But as soon as I've said that, I'm being too simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say the most important thing is to walk beside, have someone walking beside you. Um, the most important questions I ask, and we train people to ask these questions, are the three Gs of the front end of coaching or mentoring. Mm-hmm. How are you going? Which could be how are you going in life? How are you going as a father, mm-hmm. as, a, as a husband? How are you going? Um, how are you growing? I, w- I believe we should be asking the question of how you're going in your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Are you growing in the Lord? What's God teaching you? And then how did you go on that thing that we said that we would follow up? So a good coach, mentor, or pastoral supervisor, I would expect, is actually holding you accountable, the gentle hook of accountability mm-hmm. for the things that you've agreed to do, which helps you to deal with the prioritization. Uh, if you know that I'm going to ask you, hey, Dominic, how did you go on that thing you said you'd do? You're more likely to do it. Now, it's not going to be a thing I forced you to do. It's going to be the thing you said mm. was important to do. So the three Gs, how are you going, how are you growing, and how did you go? Mm. And then we can move on to what we're going to talk about mm. the rest of the day. Now, we said we'd get you in to talk about... Yeah. Um, what I've learned about coaching yeah. and what I've learned from coaching. Um, yeah. What have you learned from coaching senior pastors? I think the first thing I learned is um, how isolated most pastors are, um, how the, the inability to be vulnerable to people within the church structure and, and organisation, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, the fact that we have learned that to be vulnerable actually places our position at risk and so we we hold on to things more tightly. Mm-hmm. What I first learned was um, how often pastors just wanted to get things off their chest and talk. Um, but of course, I also learned that um, pastors, because they don't have the place to be vulnerable, often just need someone to help them reflect or to brainstorm. Um, someone who could challenge the ideas. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a safe place um, to talk. Um, um, and of course, someone who's going to reassure them on their decisions, so to talk through decisions, so rehearsing um, what you might say. You know, the hardest thing most people in any leadership role have to do is deal with people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm about to rebuke someone. Well, it's much easier to rebuke someone when you've rehearsed with somebody else. And so... So, so you've had people practice their kind of disciplinary rebuke conversations. Standard behaviour. Um, how might we say thank you to someone? How mm-hmm. might we rebuke someone? Um, here's a difficult thing I've got to do. Um, how do we think we could approach it? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm a safe sounding board. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that sounded really great. That was terrible, mate. I think that was too direct. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in an open environment, and a safe environment, um, a pastor has an opportunity to reflect, to practice, to mm-hmm. think about the way we're going forward. The, the other thing, of course, I noticed is that most pastors, like most leaders of any sort, are so busy and so in things that having someone to sit beside them gives them an opportunity to stand back and look. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people call that the balcony view. Others call that, you know, oversight. Mm-hmm. The idea to look down on the church and say, what's God doing? Mm-hmm. Um, which then, of course, gives you the opportunity to say, what are we thankful for? Mm. Um, which is, we know is good for resilience. Mm. So I, I love the, the privilege of sitting with a pastor 
and just helping them to focus on what's important. Mm -hmm. That's a key part of what a, a coach would do. And what I learned is that pastors, like most people, don't usually get the opportunity to do so unless they're well self-disciplined mm -hmm. and have time booked in to do that sort of stuff. Tell me about one that's gone wrong. Uh, well, usually when it goes wrong is simply personality differences mm -hmm. um, or differences of understanding. Um, mm -hmm. So I've, I've um, met with a pastor who um, really didn't want me to talk personally, um, you know, really didn't want me to ask the questions of what's God doing because he felt like uh, paying for coaching as a church they shouldn't be, uh, it was self-indulgent. Um, and um, I, um, I kept doing it because I felt that it was important. And, and that's where it went wrong, is that we had different expectations of what we were here to do, what I was here to do. Mm -hmm. The other time when things go wrong is just personality. So I was talking to a guy today who's going to work with, um, may work with one of our new, new members, Craig Glassick. Um, and I said to him, I said, look, after a couple of months, you need to be able to tell me this personality is working mm -hmm. or not. So I've had people who've said, Pete... Sorry, mate, you're not the one. Not the one. <laughs> that's life, right? <laughs> and and um, the guy I was speaking to today said, gee, that's uncomfortable. I said, well, yes, it is, but um, it's so much better to have the openness of the conversation and have the conversation mm -hmm. than to keep on going and force me after six months to say, this isn't working, is it? <laughs> Yeah. And that happens. I always think you're a very nice man. I, <laughs> I think I'm a nice man. My wife thinks I'm a nice man most of the time. <laughs> um, it's, it's also got to do with, it's got sustainability and innovation in yeah. there, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it does. Um, I think sustainability is one of the most important things. Um, you know, every church in the land, every church organisation in the land now is focused on resilience mm -hmm. because we know that burnout is high. Why is that such a big issue at the moment? Well, I tell you, the insurance companies are, are making it an issue because they can see the cost of, um, on the insurance bill um, of, of ministers dealing with burnout. Ministers. Um, ministers, right. ministers in this profession particularly. This not, profession. I mean, so, so we're um, not just oh, talking many school professions, teachers as well or doctors? Many professions, or? but this profession is burning out. And Grant Bickerton's work, I think, was really, really helpful for this. I'd encourage anyone to read that. Mm -hmm. uh, we can put that on the link mm. later on. Um, Grant's work showed that burnout in ministry, I'm going to oversimplify this, but essentially as we get busier and busier and busier, you might lift off your spiritual formation, of your personal devotion, your prayer life, um, your time with the Lord. And that's the thing that tends to lift people into, um, into um, moving into exhaustion and burnout. One of the most important, and the way that you treat it, of course, is to re-engage sp spiritual formation, disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, personal devotion is important for a pastor, as it is for any person who's a Christian. I tell you, I got worried. My one of my big fears at the beginning of COVID was um, uh, actually we we did the National Church Life Survey. Yes. We were below average on personal Bible reading yeah. as a, as a church, and uh, and I thought, oh, if we're below average as a church on personal Bible reading, and um, we're not meeting together as a church, um, we're going to be in trouble in this COVID moment. Yeah, you know? yeah, I and, think that's a fair assumption. And so I thought. Um, I'll start doing a little five-minute daily Bible time every morning at seven o'clock. And so Monday to Friday, since March 2000, I've got up at six, done an hour in the Bible, written a little five-minute talk and put it up on our church Facebook page and on our podcast and, um, and have subtly said to our church, 
well, what I'm doing between six and seven every morning is reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, and we just did the National Church Life Survey again in December. Yes. And in the nine months of COVID, March to December last year, we had a 20% jump in daily personal Bible reading. Isn't that um, outstanding? Now, I think there's some other factors as well, but, um, but we got to the end, we're kind of at the end of COVID now. I mean, for those people in Australia, it feels like that. It's not yeah. like that around the world, obviously. But um, I thought, do I want to stop doing this hour a day? And I thought, it's actually been really good for me. <laughs> uh, um, it's been, most importantly, it's been good for you. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. There's it's at least one person. Yeah. Um, but it will have been good for others because others are engaging. I'm reminded of um, some work that the Centre for Biblical Engagement in the US did, or the UK at this time, I think, um, uh, a few years ago. And they were trying to find one thing that was an um, identifier of spiritual maturity, mm. if you like. And they found one thing. And it was people who spend time in the scriptures four or more times a week. Mm -hmm. The one yeah. thing. Yeah. And those people were more likely to be doing the sorts of things you might expect are fruits of the spirit mm. and less likely to be doing the things that you might not expect Christians to be doing, like mm. porn, anger, mm. and things like that. And it, it's just a reminder, at the end of the day, we as the church are here to make disciples. When, when we teach, we teach the scriptures so that they might become followers of Jesus. Yeah. It's not just about teaching. And so we need to think about how are we helping them in their personal journey, mm. not just um, atten attending the corporate yeah. meeting. Um, the corporate meeting is about making and growing disciples who glorify God, right? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And therefore, so one of the key questions I ask pastors is um, a simple question. What's God teaching you from his word? And that's been my favorite line. Um, and most pastors allow me to, uh, um, to say that to their members if I get to speak to their members mm -hmm. and encourage them to ask it of their pastor. Mm -hmm. um, and most pastors need the question on a regular basis. Mm. We're reading the Bible, right? But because we're preaching. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, preaching is not time sitting under God's word. And I know that that's a dangerous thing to say out loud, but there's a truth in that. Mm. And so the question is, what's God teaching you from his word? It may be that you're sitting under his word as you prepare preaching, but for many, it's not. So what's God teaching you? Are you sitting and are you expecting that the, Lord's, um, the Lord God will speak to you as, as you read his word? Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, we... We talked before about um, conflict. Talk to me about a situation where meeting with you as a coach has made it, and you're meeting with a senior pastor. Yeah. And by you being the sounding board, you've actually been able to significantly help the culture in the church. Yeah. Coaching him. Because I was talking to a peer this morning, um, and he was just opening up about the the dreadful year-long conflict that they've had in their staff team. And um, uh, yeah, it's been really, really hard. And, and this is the, one of the biggest drainers of ministers. Yeah. By the way, a question that I, I picked up, I love Keith Farmer, is, mm -hmm. a, is, a, is one of the, you know, the, the, um, the fathers of mentoring mm -hmm. in Australia. He's got this question, which I steal, was um, your, your energy tank, mm -hmm. zero to 10. Um, you know, p personal conflict is one of the biggest drainers of mm. that tank. Um, yeah, sitting with a pastor, um, uh, one particular example, and being able to just um, 
diagnose and reflect on what's actually gone on. Mm -hmm. So the skill of coaching or leading with questions to say, well, why do you think that happened? And helping a pastor to sort of think, what, was you, what did you do that contributed to, to, the, to that? And what's going on? Mm -hmm. And allowing us to take a whiteboard or a piece of paper and just put possibles down. Mm -hmm. and working through a decision logic uh, like the GROW model and say, well, what, what's really going on? What's the reality here? And then what are the options for you? So that's, that's a, the, the one I'm thinking of is, how do you think you could best help this? And there's a single answer. Well, actually, are there other ways that you could approach this? And it's the, the, the capability of, in a safe space, exploring other options, which you might not think about on your own because you wouldn't have the confidence to explore it um, or you wouldn't bring it to the table. But you find that when you're able to explore the situation, this person I'm thinking of, actually found that actually a little bit of his first option and a little bit of his third or fourth option was the right way forward. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing we're able to do, and this is more when you've got team conflict rather than just personal conflict, um, is I'm a third party. So I can come and do things as a third party. Like I can lead a workshop mm -hmm. for, with the team to help them move past what's mm -hmm. going on or to help them to show the, the, the lack of health mm -hmm. in the way they communicate. Um, and there's many different tools that we can use. Um, we can use our site tools, we could do 360s, um, or we could just talk about what good looks like as a team in communication. Mm -hmm. and, and the third party gets to bring honesty. Mm -hmm. um, one of my team members at the moment is doing a piece for um, an eldership group uh, in a Baptist church, and, the, and he's interviewing all the different um, members of the staff and, and what it's, that, that's like a, 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 a big 360 where mm -hmm. you really, yep. you know, um, not a normal one. But it's helping the church and helping the senior pastor sort of understand what's going on so that they can explore the way forward. Mm. Um, that's the, the, the other thing I want to say is what I learned as I met with pastors. Yeah, it's thing we, we didn't mm. actually, I said about and from, yeah. and I didn't actually, I was thinking, I, didn't, I haven't got you on this from yet. No, that's right. What I, what I learned, which surprised me, but it, I, I'm not surprised by it at all now, is that we all talk about a culture of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And two things are going on. The first one is, is that um, most, um, most of us have not seen discipleship at a corporate mm -hmm. level. And so most pastors I met with when I started in 2012, um, I would have a standardized conversation with, was, um, what's the aim of this church? You know, what's the mm -hmm. purpose of this church? To make disciples of Jesus? Oh, fantastic. So what does that look like? And I get this wonderful, rich description of one-to-one -one discipleship, you know, David Helm type discussion. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and then I'd ask the question, so Dominic, how many people are, w would you be doing that with? Mm -hmm. And I'd see the concrete bags fall on your shoulders. And what I realized was you had this enormous stress because you felt that's what you should be doing, mm. but you can't do it with everyone. And your mm. perception was, I meant to do this with everyone. Mm -hmm. And no one had ever talked to you about basic organizational leadership, um, how you lead through others, how you disciple through others. Um, and, and it was a standardized conversation to say, Dominic, um, Jesus is pretty special, right? You mm. know, God. Um, and he had 12 disciples. Mm. And usually they'd say, yeah, and he had his favourite three. Um, you know, and, and then you'd start unlocking how many people can you intentionally and intensively meet with? Mm. And now strategically, who would they be? And I saw that, then I'd see the concrete bags removed from the shoulders because 
we totally shifted the view of what it is to create a discipleship culture. Mm. The, the other thing I picked up in that was that most people, when you get close, are hungry for skills. And so part of the conversation was um, just practicing ideas or thinking about skills that have never been thought of. So basic organizational leadership, mm -hmm. um, thinking about who are the influencers in this church, um, delegation and coaching others, um, mm -hmm. fitting discipleship into our normal practice. And that's where developing the training courses started because what I could see is so many ministers knew that there were skills that they could learn, particularly interpersonal mm. skills, but other skills as well, like change management mm -hmm. and things. And to be honest, most of the courses we've developed has simply been in response to common questions in coaching mm -hmm. that I wished I knew how to, that we would do on a micro level, and I'd realise actually this is consistent. We can systemise this. We, we need to systemise this. We could yeah. help people do this. Um, mm. Most of it came out of coaching, which is my awareness that most pastors actually are very, very conscious of their liabilities, of their shortcomings. Uh, they often aren't, don't feel like they're able to admit it. Mm -hmm. But when they meet with someone that they feel that they can be vulnerable to, it comes out. Mm. Um, and um, I found that just a privilege mm. to be in that conversation. Yeah. Um well, let's just come back to that um, uh, resilience issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, if there's one thing you could say that would build resilience, it, I guess it's, it's read the Bible. But what um, else is it? Read the Bible and pray. Um, I would pray. So Kirsty Bucknell, who's our org psych, I lean on very mm -hmm. heavily. And as you may know, Kirsty's doing work now um, on her PhD is... Um, that resilience is built by reflection that leads to insight. Now, Kirsty's influenced me quite strongly, and she'll probably say, oh, Peter, you got it a little bit wrong. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I usually... We'll, um, we'll get her in. And get her. Right. <laughs> what Peter should have said. Yeah, is. that's right. <laughs> but, but one of the things she helped me understand is the secular psychologist will often help people to say, what are you thankful for? Mm -hmm. And actually, it's been very, very helpful in resilience. I would say spiritual formation... And reflection on what's gone on in the last few weeks with a focus on what's God done that you should be thankful for. Mm -hmm. So I quite often with a pastor will sit there with my notepad and say, just Dominic, tell me what you're thankful for. Mm -hmm. What has God been doing over the last mm -hmm. few weeks? And I'll just write the notes down, mm -hmm. notes down. What else, Dominic? Because most of us need help to keep coming with mm -hmm. the positive. What else? And I'll end up with a page of positives. Mm -hmm. I say, right, how about you pray a prayer of thankfulness and we'll pray it together, but you mm -hmm. lead. Yep. Can you read my writing? You know, <laughs> um, and that's a habit mm -hmm. that um, Kirsty tells me is a very, very helpful habit. Um, and, I mean, when it sounds like what you're saying is, I've been working really hard, but I can't see any progress, and yeah. so I'm going downhill. Whereas if you can actually help me to see, actually, I have been working hard, but there actually really has been progress. And Things God is are different than they were before. God is always acting. Mm. Um, and many, well, if excuse the term engineers, many, many engineering types, and I mm -hmm. put myself into that, we, we find problems. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're successful because we find problems and we fix them. Well, that mantra is not a reflective mantra that helps to identify things that are good. Mm. And, and that flows through, I think, into the resilience space, but it also flows through into the managing people and leading mm. people and discipling people space. You see, if I only look at your problems, you're going to think I'm a scumbag leader who only identifies the things you're doing wrong. Mm. 
when we train people in first-line leadership or first-line coaching, we want you to spend more time identifying what's Dominic doing well, mm. see what he's doing well, and, mm. and, and keep that list, and just focus on a couple of things that could be improved, mm. um, which is how I was trained. Um, but you think about it, most people can't handle more than a few negatives in one conversation, mm. but they can handle lots of positives. It's the same for myself. How might I reflect to show, if you think about it theologically, what God is doing? And then the right response is to give thanks. Mm. So let's pray and give thanks. Yeah. And right. Kirsty tells me that's one of the energizers. Yeah. But, but reflection that leads to insight is her calling card at the moment. So insight could be thanks, but insight could simply be... What to do next. What could do next, or yeah. could I do it better next time? Whereas if I just feel like I'm stuck in a trough, yeah. then I'm going to spiral down. Correct. Yeah. And not all reflection is good. And this, I think this is very helpful from Kirsty for me. Reflection that leads to rumination mm-hmm. is terrible. Yeah. Reflection that says, oh, gee, I suck. Mm-hmm. or I'm terrible, or God would never use or me. Or it's just or, never going to get better. That's right, um, is unhelpful. And that's why your question of coach, mentor, pastoral supervisor, the, the assisted reflection is powerful. Right. The, the ability to have someone who's in your corner, who gets, we don't want to go to rumination. I, I meet with a guy who's got quite a negative tendency. He calls himself Eeyore. And um, part of my role, I know, is to help him see, brother... You're such a blessing to your church, God. Mm. It's great, isn't it great to see what God's doing? Yeah. <laughs> Peter, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure, Dominic. Thank My you. guest on The Pastor's Heart, Peter Mayrick. We call him the church doctor from the Centre for Ministry Development uh, at Moore College in Sydney. It's been great to have your company this Tuesday afternoon, and we will look forward to your company next week. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.